right it's the glitz the glamour everything you look forward to every year it's the ultimate award show it's the episode where we talk about our, our favorite movies from the previous year so joining me today uh we we don't have a special guest believe it or not well i mean we've got two guys that i think are pretty special but uh nobody extra special because you know covid sundance all these things happening uh, and they kind of get in the way so i do have Jack Eason here. Yeah, th- thanks, Steve. That wasn't the best introduction, but you know what? I'm I'm excited <laughs> to talk about the Oscar chances for all these films. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't mean special, to say you're not special. <laughs> somewhat special, like you know, like yeah. five out of ten special. Five out of ten special. Uh, you you taught me the word blotto today, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, no, you know, Steve, this reminds me, like, my family uh, commission, I'm the last, I'm the youngest kid of four, and my parents obviously went out all out and got fancy family portraits done after my sister was born, the third child. They never updated them after I was born. I was a mistake. Oh, wow. And you've just brought that up, Steve, you just brought that to the forefront of this this podcast, and... Uh, yeah, that's rough. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to start drinking, which I already was doing earlier. So I got a head start on being depressed. That's okay. I I don't like to think of you as a mistake, Jack. You're just a a <laughs> <Thanks>. happy accident. <laughs> that's it. That's that's what I'm going for day day in day out. Yeah, and and speaking of parenthood, uh, Jay Chapila, future parent, is is here. He's here. Yeah, thanks, Steve. I'm glad I could be here, and I uh, did not get accreditation for the COVID film festival. That is uh, raging on. Yeah. What are they? So are they doing? They're they're doing Sundance like remotely this year. Is that right? Yeah. It's a it's a virtual virtual show. Screenings are on their site. Um, they're and, not even. Uh, they're not even showing them in HD. I'm hearing. It's yeah. It's standard def um, oh, streaming gosh. 480p. That's insane. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, people are uh, coming out in droves. Our good friend Matt Neglia has uh, allegedly watched 11 <laughs> films in a single day. Friend of the uh, show, Matt Neglia. That's fucked. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then, and then not only did he watch, like, uh, whatever, 23 films in 24 hours, but uh, he legitimately told someone, because someone was just like, wow, I can't believe you saw all those films. How do you find time to write about them all? And he's like, I don't. I, I write about them at the end. What the fuck? How, <laughs> how do you do that? How did like all that shit's going to leave your fucking brain? Yeah. Or, or well, well, mixed Steve, with other shit. Steve, if you've, if you've, you know, sampled some of his finest tweets, I think none of this is particularly contradictory. Yeah, I, I've refused to accept the critical slurry that Matt Neglia is creating in his brain right now. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't well, understand know, that to, for my best pieces when i watch a film and then i don't take notes or anything and then i watch 24 more films and then i go back and i write the review on the first film and that's that's the what i find is the best method for for expelling my madness onto paper yeah. uh, to be fair this is kind of what i'm doing today as we've discussed um 
yeah, we're discussing the best movies of 2021. And I mean, I definitely, there's films I love from 2021. It was a really strong year. But rather than refresh my memory on any of them, I've just been playing video games all week. So we'll see mm. what I remember. I remember the directors of all of these movies. So I can name that real quick. So, Jake, the rest of it's probably up to you. Well, remember, I mean, we, we do call you the Matt Neglia of optimism vaccines. So I just <laughs> all... Son of a bitch, you said you stopped. <laughs> I'm really going hard for you today. Jesus. I don't know, man. No. Like, I, I mean, I'm so bad. I will, I will, specifically if I know that I'm writing about a movie or I have to talk about it on a podcast, I, I'll take notes. And then sometimes if I wait three or four days or whatever, and then I look at my notes, I don't even know what my notes are about. Like, there's been times where I'm, <laughs> I, I write something, what the fuck is this? So... I don't know how Neglia does it. He's just, he's got an expansive mega brain. He's got the limitless pill. He's ready. So, uh, yeah, that's, oh, he's, that's he's why got that he's Lucy, that Lucy hundred percent of his brain shit unlocked. He's oh, yeah. going for it. He's <laughs> totally going for it. Jesus Christ. Unfucking believable. <laughs> yeah. Weird. We didn't get Sundance accredited. Like we don't have press passes. We got nothing. We don't get that sweet 40p. Who's in charge of these things? Do they not know who we are? I think you can just pay real money. Like, you can just hand them money yeah. and they'll just give you stuff. Uh, yeah, there's but, definitely press passes, but then there's also, I think you can just buy virtual tickets to attend. Anybody can attend the film festival. Yeah, it's, my, it's my problem with, yeah my, my problem with Sundance is that, honestly, the first name that's popped out for me now for Sundance is David Lowry. And that just means I can't take the entire festival seriously because I've seen a ghost story... And speaking of 2021 films, he did a he did a movie for the year of the everlasting storm, which was like a, maybe seven short films combined into one movie. And all of them were kind of about COVID and kind of, you know, insulating and being, you know, stuck indoors and kind of that isolation of it. And Lowry's is absolutely the worst film of all of them. So, yeah, Sundance has some has, has to kiss my ass a little bit if it wants me to take it seriously again. Well, at least we don't have to talk about the new Sundance movies, uh, you know, because we, we're, we're just here to talk about our favorite films of 2021. Uh, like, you know, Jack's fave that he can't stop talking about, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> actually, I think that might have been 2020. I don't fucking know. <laughs> it, it absolutely was. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite kind of movie that I actually just I don't want to watch it. But the idea of a film like smugly trotting out like it's going to be you know, the, the big awards season hit and then it just falls flat on its face. I love that. That always feels good. But uh, it, I, I don't know. Uh, do, it, do 2021 have a hillbilly elegy? I don't know if this counts, but I, you cannot convince me to watch Belfast. Uh, there's no fucking way I'm going to sit down Belfast and put that movie like on. Strong, yeah, similar vibes. Yeah, I, w I would yeah. say that's a thing. I'll, okay, here's my I, yeah I I'll read the synopsis and I'll I'll just like kind of rehash the plot, and then I'll say, uh, it it has striking compositions but feels emotionally hollow, and then j my my little like snide tweet letterbox moment will be like more like bell end, and then that's all on the review. <laughs> Next best best picture, Matt Neglia, hire me. I'm your boy. I charge eighty bucks an hour. Um. Yeah, I I don't know I, I I don't Belfast is probably fine, but it's another one where it's just like I yeah I don't think I don't think I got too much shit to watch, so no Marvel movies, yeah. no Belfast. I think that's a fair way to to continue my life. Yeah, you need to find that balance. I am a hundred percent convinced that Belfast is going to win several Oscars. 
Yeah, I'm saying this now, and then like somebody's gonna take this clip of me saying I'm probably not gonna watch Belfast, and then it'll it'll win a bunch of awards, and I'll begrudgingly end up watching it. And yeah, I'm gonna yeah, end our, up right our Oscar catch up that we subject ourselves to every year. Although I think we found maybe kind of like an out for that, so we'll see what we do this year. <laughs> yeah, we figured it out last year, and hopefully this year we'll continue. <laughs> we that figured streak. it out last year. We ended up watching when we're like three of the movies were still really fucking bad. Yeah, I know. We're like, ah, ha, ha, this is how we're going to do it. And then, no, we just we just fucked ourselves in a unique way instead of the the, the standard way that we, we ruin our lives. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess we could talk about some actual good things. And I want to start by talking about something that Jack Eason has not seen, but he probably should see. And I, I want to ask you a question, Jack, because you, you've seen The Other Side of the Wind, right? I, I have. Yes. Now, this film uh, famously reconstructed from the, the bits and pieces that Orson Welles left us with uh, and then basically put together into a movie in, in 2017, 2018. And we've got we've got something maybe maybe just as good, if not better, because if there's one thing that the other side of the wind and Orson Welles didn't have, it was uh, esteemed thespian Don the Dragon Wilson. I was and just, I figured this is where we were going. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, they did not have him when they originally shot this movie. But please continue, Steve. That's true. But I mean, it's, at the end of the day, they they should have they should have figured it out. There's no karate at all in the other side of the wind that I'm aware of. And yeah, I don't think so. so. No. <laughs> Vinegar syndrome who you probably know as a boutique label that puts out horror, exploitation, softcore, hardcore, uh, all that fun stuff. They got their hands on a film and it was shot in 1984. It's called New York Ninja. And they had all the reels, didn't have any sound, and they didn't have a script. They just had this film. And somehow... In the year of our Lord, 2021, they released New York Ninja and they did it by commissioning an original soundtrack, which doesn't sound like some weird, like, you know, uh, I, I don't know. There's this whole streak of, of electronic artists that that specifically tried to sound like the 80s, but they're not actually using synth noises that sound like they're from the 80s. So this is like commission music that actually sounds era appropriate. And they went out and got... Uh, Linnea Quigley, the aforementioned Don the Dragon Wilson, uh, Cynthia Rothrock, all your faves to do the dubbing for the for the voices. And then the script they came up with, I'm not sure what the logistics are of how they figured this out, but it works. Like the words that they've chosen seem to match the lips of the people talking. So I don't know if they had like a lip reader come in and, and give them an idea. Wouldn't, yeah, what that was would be going the easiest on. thing. Why don't you hire a lip? reader and they just kind of come up with like a first draft and then you refine that's yeah. what i would do you know if i had to I, reconstruct a movie with no sound yeah and it's it, it's kind of amazing because it doesn't i mean it, it's goofy let's let's not get it twisted here i mean there in the beginning there's a scene where the titular new york ninja is literally roller skating around uh fighting gang members because that's that's the extent of the plot is basically uh, there's a guy, he's got a girlfriend who is pregnant and then she gets stabbed uh, by someone who, who looks like they're out of 
like a fucking Melville movie, like Le Samurai or something. <laughs> and because all these gang members uh, dress completely ridiculously, uh, you know, like someone's closet exploded and random an articles of clothing variation. landed on them. So they have like really dapper gangsters. It's not like, you know, I was thinking like yeah. one of my favorite New York gangs is like Rumble in the Bronx's like United Colors of Benetton Street gang, like the most <laughs> so, diverse gang in history. Well, it, there's... <laughs> There's your standard gang guys, and they're just wearing God knows fucking what. Uh, there is one dapper dandy who does like sword fighting and cane stuff. And then there's another guy who is he's sort of a ringleader slash failed government uh, experiment of some sort. <laughs> so, oh, a lot of layers to this one. You mean the, you mean the uh, the plutonium killer? Aha, the plutonium killer. That is correct. Who has to expose himself to radioactive materials in the back of his car, otherwise he'll melt and fall apart. This couldn't that possibly. Is, this, whole deal? this couldn't possibly be part of the original script. Like they had to have made. Did they have footage of a guy exposing himself to plutonium? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> all in the movie. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing too. It's not like I, I kind of went into this expecting uh like a kung pao enter the fist or what's up tiger lily type of thing and it's not that it's i mean it's a goofball trashy movie but it's also as i i feel like it's as accurate as it could be given what they had it's not like the they went in with this whole idea of making this like cheeky like oh look it's bad isn't that fun it seems like they were they were going for the authentic shit and they nailed it. It just happens to be really fucking silly. Uh, and it's from a guy who, from my understanding, the the star the and the original director, uh, I, I don't think he had a lot of experience in the world of, of directing or acting or writing or doing anything associated with film. And really one of the strongest scenes in the movie and it, and it completely sets the tone if you want to know what you're getting into is the opening where our protagonist the titular new york ninja finds out that his girlfriend is pregnant before she gets stabbed it is the strangest non-human interaction i have ever seen it's just completely bizarre lizard people behavior and the further you get into the movie, you realize that this is just kind of the wavelength that the director's on. That's how he behaves. That's how he thinks human beings speak to one another. And it's uh, it's it's incredible stuff. I watched it myself, but I would say six beers and a big crowd. And and this is a, a real crowd pleaser, I'd imagine. Now, Jake, Jake you saw this one, right? I, I'm not the only one who's watched New York Ninja. I have. I have the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray Proudly to, to be, displayed on my shelf. To be clear, I have it too. I just haven't got to it yet. So this, oh, this wow. is so this is just going to be one of those things, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, if you threw it on right after this podcast, I, I guarantee you'll have a great time. And it's less so than, or more so maybe than other side of the wind. It's it's crazy that they put something somewhat cohesive together out of a, a no sound and b no real notes. Like this was not probably not how the original narrative had what is intended to go with when the film was originally shot so like they just created everything from scratch and yeah they, like steve said they had a bunch of our greatest b-movie actors come in and record the adr and uh it's a pretty pretty fun scrappy little movie that could and uh it's nice that vinegar syndrome 
put in the effort to resurrect one man's abandoned trash into our our hidden viewing treasure. Yeah, it's like I'm interested in this one because uh, I've only seen John. L- it's John Liu is is the guy yeah. who did it. Yes. Um, I've only seen, and it's weird. It was completely unrelated. I recently saw a movie of his, The Invincible Armor, which just randomly aired in Chicago, playing on 35 mil, uh, and it was like a private screening. Some uh, some guy just put together because he wanted to just show weird shit in a cinema, which is the most glorious school of. Uh, film programming in the world frankly um and he got this one literally because uh he hadn't seen it before either he he knew a guy who had a bunch of like martial arts prints and he just asked him which one looked best and they were just like invincible armor looks great and it did it looks great and it's a uh insane like early classic martial arts movie i think it's made like late 70s or so and it's basically just john lu and huang jang lee uh, you know, who's known as, like, Thunderfoot in Drunken Master. It's probably his best-known role. Um, there's, like, a fight scene every single scene of the movie. Like, it is just a couple of guys kicking the ever-loving shit out of each other for 90 minutes solid. And it's a blast. And John Liu is incredible in it. He's doing some really amazing footwork stuff, like, kicking stuff. So, yeah, this this sounds amazing to me. Um... But at the same time, I don't know how much that will work when he's also wearing rollerblades and ex- potentially, <laughs> I don't know, plutonium exposure. So I don't know. This this one is definitely definitely one of the weirder entries. And this is officially a 2021 release because it has never yep. been released prior. That's correct. That's correct. So I, I don't know. I mean, if, if you want to see the most bizarre thing released in 2021, you can't really go wrong here. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good time. I mean, you say that, uh, Steve, but Saya's music is also technically a 2021 <laughs> release. We did cover that in a previous podcast, oh, though. We love music. Well, that's the, actually, you know what? It's so stupid. I was just like, oh, Hillbilly Elegy. What kind of movies like that came out? Fucking music. Music was supposed <laughs> to be. See, it's just on TV like, oh, my God, we're going to touch so many hearts. And then she got nominated for awards and shit. And then, nope. No, she's ancient. I I hear now when if in future releases it will actually have like disclaimers in front of it about how like restraining and stuff is like bad, you know, restraining yeah. people with mental illnesses because she she just stuck that in there because she listened to a bunch of fringe group loonies. So well done, Saya. Yeah. I can't wait for Saya's next movie, which presumably be the apology tour. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah just just gotta just gotta restrain gotta hug it out that's how it works <laughs> god that fucking movie i completely forgot that i saw that what a what a triumph of shit um <laughs> anyways I'm, I'm gonna keep my streak going of things that jack eason hasn't seen yet because i enjoy uh just just kind of dangling things in front of him uh but i i know jake you saw this one too and i think you know, we're talking about the best movies of 2021. I don't know if this is like, you know, someone's top film or a top three. I wouldn't put it up there, but it gets a big pat on the back. Uh, Pig. Pig is really fucking good. Why is Pig so fucking good? I think it's because it's it's kind of a, a nice slap in the face of these like Nicolas Cage people that just think that Nick Cage is a joke and they've never seen Leaving Las Vegas or, you know, appreciate any of his more nuanced performances, and they're just waiting for him to to scream and freak out, which, you know, to his credit, he does a great job of doing. And you, you kind of forget that Nicolas Cage is a fantastic, just 
physical actor, his facial impressions, how he carries himself. He's got a real presence to him. And in Pig, he really doesn't say much. He spends most of the movie just kind of sitting around in silence. And anytime he does say something, the way he delivers the lines, my God, uh, there's, there's a scene where Nick Cage is sitting in a fancy Portland restaurant and he basically eviscerates this chef until the guy is on the verge of tears. And the best scene in the movie. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's also fun the way that it kind of plays with expectations because, you know, you see this movie, it's called Pig. It's got this, you know, really dark, ominous uh, poster. And the synopsis is Nicolas Cage plays a guy whose truffle pig is abducted and he has to, you know, go on a, a revenge quest to get it back. And you think he's there's going to be explosions and he's going to fuck things up because here's yeah. Nicolas Cage in a low-budget movie. It's going to be an action film. That's not what it is at all. Um, it's basically a, a character drama and um, it's sort of a mystery, but that kind of takes a back seat and it's a really depressing kind of downbeat but resonant uh, story of just how no matter how much you try and remove yourself from, uh, you know, capitalism or, or certain industries or, or things of that nature, you can't ever completely pull yourself away. You're always getting kind of yanked back into it. And uh, yeah, it's really fucking good. So who knew? Pig. Why haven't you watched Pig yet, Jack? Well, I will, I will tell you. I have the a story. The answer is because you're a bad I, person. Because I started watching Pig and I watched the opening credits of Pig. And then uh, I was watching with Holly and we got talking. She's like, I hope nothing happens to the pig because she just wasn't feeling that that night. She just didn't feel like that. Mm -hmm. So so I checked in like, the, what's that website? It's like, does the dog die? That website that just tells oh, you whether yeah. or not the dog dies in the movie. Because to be fair, that's a legitimate thing. It's a bunch of really shitty filmmakers repeatedly have animals die in stories just for like cheap emotional storytelling. And generally it doesn't bother me. But, you know, Holly's she's not a fan. You know, she considers film to be light entertainment. And to be fair, that's just a shitty shortcut that idiots use. Like, there's, like, a handful mm. of movies where animals die that it's actually, like, legitimate or framed appropriately. For everything else, it's just like, oh, are you sad now because the little dog died? Oh, well, we really were doing something here. And I'm like, no, you're not. So anyway, I checked that website. And I think it said something about, like, the pig is doesn't end well or something. I was like, eh, I'm not going to risk it. So uh, really, the reason why I haven't seen pig is because I'm a great husband. <laughs> that's, that's it. it's it's not it's not about the pig. i mean ultimately it's not about the pig the pig kind of gets the ball rolling but it's that's, it's really yeah. not the, the pig is kind of a, a non-issue after the first you're gonna, you're gonna tell explain that yeah. though to the person who likes pigs yeah it's the a vegetarian cute pig too. a really just great pig actor like oh, if, there's, yeah. <laughs> if there's pig oscars i would give it the pig oscar for sure yeah the so. palm the pork or something <laughs> That's a very demeaning name for the pig, oh. Oscar. Palm de Pork. <laughs> Trademark that shit. That should be for best depiction of a police officer, just to keep on, oh on track. Yeah. How how sad is Christy going to be that she couldn't be on this episode when she hears you say <laughs> Palm de Pork? <laughs> and I know she really likes pig, too, so that's too yeah. bad. But uh, a good one. Yeah, no, Pig, Pig, I really loved. Um, and I think for a while it was my, my number one film of the year. And then like just in the last three months, we just got bombarded with so many great releases that it 
was ultimately pushed aside. But yeah, uh, the, from the way you set it up, like Nicolas Cage is a as a hermit living in the woods of Washington and his truffle pig is stolen and he goes on a what we think is going to be a revenge mission to get it back. And you think, oh, this is going to be Mandy, except instead of avenging his wife, he just goes to rescue his beloved swine. But uh, yeah, no, it turns into this weird melancholy film about grief and goes into this underworld, like the underworld food, like, uh, like, like, let me rephrase the food underworld of Portland and how like there's secret restaurants and fight clubs for chefs and busboys. And uh, yeah, it's a really great film. And the scene that you highlighted where he sits down at a restaurant that has like this very pretentious new wave cooking and in like their menu is all of like these deconstructed food items that are just so up their own ass and like he he basically brings the chef out who was a guy he once had under his wing many years ago and he just completely eviscerates him with his life choices and says like everything you've done up to this point is a joke and you are a joke and nobody in this nobody knows you and it's it's just such a potent reminder of how exceptionally great Nicolas Cage is and yeah it's it was one of my biggest surprises of the year and I I uh I highly recommend Pig so Maybe a follow-up New York Ninja with that one, Jack. It's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, feature. it's weird when you describe it about, like, the food restaurant underworld. I'm immediately reminded of, like, Tom Young-Goon, uh, a.k.a. The Protector, where you, where Tony Shaw's going looking for his elephant. He does the same thing. He goes to a bunch of, like, restaurants that sell illegal meat, and he kicks ever-loving shit out of everyone. So it sounds like Pig yeah. is an honorary sequel. Yeah. yeah, I think it's in the same spirit, yeah. Cage <laughs> doesn't kick the shit out of anyone, but, uh, yeah. That's a shame. Um, we should do Tony Jacques should be in Pig 2 in the city. <laughs> pig 2, more pig, parentheses, in the city. <laughs> well, uh, one movie that I, I want to mention, because this is the best of 2021, but we don't have to spend too much time on it because we did an entire episode on it earlier in 2021. And you can go back and you can listen to that episode. And, you know, uh Christy from Film Inquiry, she was supposed to be on this episode, but, uh, you know, the aforementioned you know, stuff happens, man. And she was actually on the episode where we talk about this film, and that is not promising, young woman. Fuck you. Me, you, madness. Okay? What promising young woman wishes it was. <laughs> and I just want to throw it out there because we've talked about it ad nauseum. You can go back, you can listen to that episode. And this is like the most like you want to really get into the optimism vaccine mindset. Okay. It starts with me, you madness. That's the beginning. I think I'm, yeah, Dan, the uh, Norm MacDonald, Danny DeVito, Dave Chappelle film screwed. That's also part of the uh, optimism vaccine mindset training program. But <laughs> me, you madness is just on its own fucking wavelength. And this is really like, if you like watching what weird rich people do who are like pretty much subhuman, uh, they just have a gazillion dollars and they say, I want to make a movie. This is what they make. And it's just a singular piece of work. There is nothing like it, even though it's pretty much just aping American psycho, but in all the wrong ways, it's goddamn incredible. So I just, I just want to throw that out there. It's an amazing movie. No, I mean, honestly, I watched like, Oh, like nearly, I think, 60 official, slightly more, but I discounted some like Netflix stuff that I was like half watching that was nonsense. That was like TV movie stuff. It's like, 
this isn't really in the play running anyway but like i watched like at least 60 2021 official releases uh, of varying degrees of quality and honestly miu madness stands it's a great movie it is incredibly fun i think it would make a really great double bill with a much better reviewed film uh bad luck banging or loony porn the uh what is it the raju yuda film from romania which is a really fascinating film about um kind of the current the current situation the current discourse the kind of like uh kind of how our current stage of history is a group of people in denial about why we are who we are and where we came from that we can't talk about anything that makes anyone uncomfortable um and just sort of, you know, and how we're very, like this strange new conservatism that has crept in that's trying to dictate discussion and standards. Basically, you know, as they would themselves would describe it uh, as snowflakes. But but it's actually, you know, the people who are actually concerned about this stuff are all conservative, but they're convinced that tiny babies on on university campuses can't handle the truth. Meanwhile, they are burying themselves in layers of excuses and obscurest kind of viewpoints to make sure they don't have to acknowledge just readily settled history so that they can just get mad at people because they have to wear a mask or they have to talk about, like, America having some problems. Um, uh, Jack, can I can I share something with you really quick? I just sure. want you to know I made, I made a crucial mistake this weekend and uh, I was going to burn <laughs> my, my Carhartt coveralls, but I forgot to take them off first, so they've oh, melted no. to my skin. Oh, man. Anyways. <laughs> pour one out for you and your, your grand political activism. But yeah, um, so like, uh, Jake, you've, you've seen Bad Luck Banging, right? I have. I actually just came back to theaters and I got to go see it uh, last week. And uh, yeah, it was it was quite a treat. Again, like Pig, it was completely different than what I was maybe anticipating. But um, it's a very interesting uh, film, especially it's broken into these three acts. And the second section, I think, has a lot of great things in it. I don't know really how to describe it other than like, I think the film calls it an alt dictionary. It is it's just a bunch of terms. It's, but it uh, actually, that. It credits uh, Ambrose Bierce's uh, Devil's Dictionary in the end credits, which is exactly what it's doing, which is basically kind of subversive, kind of politically kind of fanged uh, definitions of words. And that, yeah, you, like you say, the film is like set into three segments, and that middle segment is literally just a series of words with kind of like little illustratory vignettes going along with them. But yeah, just kind of covering... The strange paradoxes of, for example, the one that sticks out of my mind and I think really sums up a lot of where the film is going in is um, where they recount the story of like a German concentration camp that like ops executions, systemic executions to like 20 something thousand people being murdered every single day so that they can wrap up inventory before Christmas so they can celebrate the birth of Jesus. And, like, this is a thing. This is real. And it's just kind of that idea of how, you know, systems and big think and just this casual insanity 
that surrounds us that can be justified. I mean, the film is very imbued in that. The whole first section of the film, which I adored, is basically the the, the general story of the film is about a woman who basically she's a school teacher and she makes a sex tape and the sex tapes gets leaked and it was just going to be her and her husband a private tape and it gets leaked and suddenly her job is on the line. You know, she has to she has to basically make a, an appeal to keep her job at a prestigious school because now there's this video of her engaging in sex that's available on the internet and the whole thing is just outlandish and out of control um but the the first section is amazing it's just basically her walking through you know i'm not sure if it's where in romania it is to be honest but just walking through the streets of romania and it's just kind of follows her and then the camera just gets distracted and kind of zooms in on details on the street and none of this is this all looks to be just you know readily available stuff that's there it doesn't look like they mocked up anything for it but just kind of like a person moving through a world of advertising signifiers everything is sales everything is image everything is spin everything is trying to kind of make you renegotiate your place in the world through capitalism or consumerism and it's just this very simple technique to set into the film, but it just kind of shows that we're almost at odds with our own world at this point. You know, we we have to negotiate our very position. Really, just a tremendously interesting film. It's one that I kind of grew. Uh, it just, I, my mind keeps going back to it. I talk about it as a pair with Me You Madness because Me You Madness is kind of the flip side of it. It's the person who is has everything, is utterly wealthy, is pursuing what they want to do, and seems frankly unclear of what that is because it doesn't matter how much money you have that doesn't make you a cogent storyteller and the result is something that's absolutely baffling um another film i would pair it with in 2021 actually is the scary of 61st the most fucking online movie i've ever seen from uh dasha nekrasova who is is red scare i don't listen to these podcasts so i only know them in passing but a wild film i kind of enjoyed it it's really weird and pervy but they're like it's rosemary's baby but about jeffrey epstein so um yeah another one of these films that you're never quite sure what level the director's on in terms of uh, honestly a film that i'm never i'm laughing but i don't know if i'm laughing with or at them and i'm not sure where the line is and that's honestly kind of fun it's it could go either way there's a negotiation there yeah. Mm-hmm. The, and the thing, Bad Luck Banging, that first section, as you described it, I thought it was, I, in my mind, I thought it was the director was kind of cataloging, I guess, how the city has since turned. Because this is a, we should sure. mention, this is a, a pandemic movie. Um, and all the characters are masked in practicing social distance. That's right. Except for the Except for the opening sex scene, which is like the only moment of intimacy. And it's also really explicitly shown. So if you're... If you're interested in that, Steve, have at it. Yeah. But um, I, I like when P's going to V's. The, yeah, the first five <laughs> yeah. minutes is just straight up like actual porn content. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow, and that's then, good. Uh, in My the TV faces a big window that is on a main road, so I like to I like to open the drapes for the the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> there you go, and then uh, the keep it open for the uh, the alt dictionary section too, because my favorite, which is also kind of ties back to the theme of the film. Again, this is a school teacher who's kind of being attacked for having a sex life, and it just gets released to the world. And so there's uh, the definition of the word blowjob, and as we we're reading it, we see the actual act of oral sex is on screen, and the definition it gives us is blowjob, the most looked up word in the online dictionary. The second is empathy. 
And I thought that's just like the perfect <laughs> summation of the entire film in one image. That's it. I mean, that's, that's nice. 2021. It's it's everything's hanging out front and people are trying to feign caring about each other or figuring out if we're supposed to. There's some kind of negotiation, I mean, amidst COVID of what we owe one another. And apparently the answer is nothing. This has been kind of ongoing for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, really, I think Bad Luck Banging is, like, if I had to pick a film that is representative of the zeitgeist, it's this one. It's a really kind of, it, it, you'll see a lot of, like, it's in a Romanian film. You'll see a lot of American Moors in it, Europe, everything. It's, you know, apparently we're all the same and we're all fucked, essentially. <laughs> Sounds about yeah. right. <laughs> well... You know, let's let's change gears a little bit, and uh, why don't we talk about my favorite kind of movie, the Hangout movie? And who doesn't like hanging out with their dad, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> what'd you boys think of uh, Titan? <laughs> I I did not. I I was not aware what film was going to come up here. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I how, think... how many other movies did you see this year about hanging out with your dad? I feel, <laughs> yeah, it's the <laughs> Loving dad's, story of a dad's come in different being... forms, man. Sometimes <laughs> it's a guy that you light on fire, and sometimes it's a guy who's a fireman. Right? Yeah, it's summer <laughs> automatic and summer manual transmission. Who who knows? Yeah. So fucking dumb. I didn't make that connection. <laughs> good movie. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's good movie. Titan, yeah. <laughs> Titan is fantastic. Um, it I saw it in an early screening, and it completely knocked my socks off. I described it as Cronenbergian in the chat uh it's um Decrenu Julie the director of Raw it's her next film her follow-up it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year and uh uh it uh I thought it completely trounces Raw and it's uh just is such a fucking knockout it's the lead actress is great uh, Vincent Linden is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I have nothing but great things to say about Detain. Yeah, I think it's, I really enjoyed this one as well. I think it's interesting because a lot of people focused on, and the early discussion of this was about like how fucked up it is and how crazy it is. It, to the point yeah. where, where it played at my local cinema on opening night, apparently three people threw up while it was playing. <laughs> And, and nice. I have no idea why. Like watching the movie, like there's definitely there's some strange stuff, but like it's 2021. So I mean, oh, there's man. a story beat in this movie about a woman fucks a car. Okay, she gets in the car and somehow has sex with the car and becomes We've pregnant. We've been there. Yeah, becomes pregnant with some kind of car baby. And you might think, oh, that's a little weird. But like, I mean, come on, cinema's 120 something years old now. That's not that weird. Okay. Especially considering Cronenberg yeah. made Crash in like the mid '90s, and there's various other things that have happened. Like we're we're well. There's a long and storied cinematic history of fucking cars. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Like I mean, an anime's been a <laughs> right. thing for years now. They've done all kinds of illegal stuff. Should be illegal stuff, you know. So so to be this movie's not that weird when I watch it. It really isn't. I think it's a very touching movie, though. I think it's a very interesting movie about kind of reconciliation with you know kind of like uh, as cliche as it sounds finding your own family and so on but i think there really is something here in that these people kind of forge relationships almost in spite of the reality just to kind of soften the world around them a very unfeeling cruel world there's just a lot of um 
you know, considering it's a movie about a girl who murders several people, then fucks a car, and then has some kind of an agonizing alien pregnancy, there's an incredible number of really touching, quiet, you know, kind of caring moments in this film that I think a lot of people kind of blew past because they were so busy. It was like, how do you fuck a car? And it's just, you know, it, the, the film to me is really much more about that kind of the the father-daughter bond, father-son bond. They kind of mess with the with the, the gender element within it. Um, very much kind of and in that skewing perceptions of masculinity. We have the hyper-masculine fireman who takes his son under his wing, who is not actually a, a man at all, among other things. It, you know, it's just really a film about kind of like, and I, mean, I feel like when I talk about it, it always sounds incredibly cliche in terms of, you know, kind of forging your own identity, finding your own family, being comfortable mm-hmm. in your own skin, but also within the vein of a movie where someone does fuck a car. So, you know, this isn't Hallmark. It's not doing yeah. any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, but and, and yeah, this kind of builds on Raw, right? Because it's the same type of thing where it's conceptually it's pretty fucking simple it's yeah it's about identity finding your own family what it kind of means to be human or a a, you know a big old sack of meat walking the earth and (laughs) (laughs) and how you find comfort in in the different relationships that you forge and all of this is things that, that films have done over and over and over again but what she does is she sets up a very familiar thematic framework and then then you can put in all the crazy car fucking stuff (laughs) and it still works because because we're kind of trained as movie watchers to like note and and identify and recognize these these patterns these thematic patterns that we've seen over and over and over again and then the fun twist is just the way that she balances these tender moments with obviously you know brutal murder car sex uh things of that nature so yeah i don't know I, i feel like the 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 problem that it, people run into with this one is, I I never I never got a read from the film that it was just being you know provocative to be for provocative sake you know like it's it's not coming at you like ooh look at the fucked up thing I just did I'm the car sex movie from France like I, it, it never felt that way to me so I I don't know I I think some people who were overly critical of it maybe uh, it just it just didn't hit with them for some reason. It also kind of, I mean, I think with several of the films we describe, you can kind of just fall into the trappings of describing its themes. And like one of my favorite films of the year is a three hour odyssey on on how one manages grief uh, through art. And like uh, how I say that, it sounds like the worst thing in the world. I'm, I'm just saying to the audience, watch the films that we say and then, you know, come out with your own interpretation or your own describing of it because you know i think a, a lot of a uh, detain that a lot of the hate it got was also just about oh this feels just like it could be a movie about oh gender fluidity and all it's a, it's all very much a subject movie filtered through this violent lens but uh, there's i think there's a lot much more to it than that yeah 100 percent. i mean like Frank Zappa famously said you know talking about music is like dancing about architecture is this like there's there's this divide between discussing something versus experiencing it now arguably you mm-hmm. know you can dance about architecture people can do that but you know that aside the the kind of point remains and it's true i mean we could talk about the themes of the movie but there's that scene where she dances on the fire engine for all the firemen 
and you can't like you can't really distill that into words it's sort of just it's it is what cinema is a kind of confluence of image and sound and time that mm -hmm. encapsulates an enormous amount of information and transforms it as it plays out and it's really good and yeah you you pretty much just have to watch the movie sorry so just just go do that yeah i think it's probably your best move well yeah. uh from from car fucking to just dude fucking <laughs> another great one maybe my favorite film from 2021 if if you had to make me pick uh let's talk about the worst person in the world she's not so bad no, she's not. No, this is no. um this is <laughs> she's uh, all right. She's okay. She's <laughs> not that bad at all, honestly. Even even by the high standards set by the Norwegians and their their robust social welfare system. She's doing okay. Um yeah, this this was um I, I must admit this is the first uh Joachim Trier film I've seen. So, uh, Jake, you're a fan, so you can probably fill in you can contextualize this one a lot better, but this is um yeah. strikes me as one of the a really rare film, and I don't know why these films are so rare and um, kind of reminded me a lot of uh, kind of off the top of my head i think suzanne beer did hearts and minds the dogma film i think that's what mm -hmm. it's called or, or is it open hearts sorry open hearts open hearts yeah with the, um, yeah yeah and and the, kind of these films that are that fully embrace that human relationships and human life is not a series of binary decisions where there's like there's a correct and an incorrect decision and it's kind of a branching path and you try and take the correct decision um you know i think humanity generally and certainly any kind of like self-help market economy that wants to try and sell you you know to be the better person and so on there's this this overarching concept that life is a story and you have to tell the story as best you can through good decisions and, you know, firm beliefs and strong values and so on. And that's not what life is like at all. I think for everyone who lives life, really, it's messy and it's strange and it's mixed up. And there's multiple pos possibilities at any given point, And you choose one based on your best sensibilities at the time or possibly other you know, maybe maybe, you know, it's not the best. But maybe it's all you can do at the time. And you just kind of adapt and you keep going. And that's actually what life is. It's just a messy clusterfuck of things being stitched together to kind of come out somewhere down the line, you know, doing pretty well. And um, this movie is not like crazy, you know, it's not like misery porn or anything, but it, it is a film that struck me as like kind of capturing how essentially like it's about a, a woman who enters one great relationship. He has a really strong relationship with a guy, but she meets another guy and she really likes him. And ultimately she kind of decides to try out the other relationship and she examines, you know, what she's doing with this. And it's kind of like, you know, there, what is the correct answer? What, what are we supposed to do here? There's, there's really kind of, we have to forge our own lives. We have to do the best that we can, but our relationships with people are always shifting and changing and we have to, at some point choose ourselves and i think that's part of what the, the title is playing on the worst person in the world is that she necessarily has to be selfish at certain points but it doesn't actually mark her out as a bad person and it's just one of those films that acknowledges human life as being messy and kind of uh you know kind of ad hoc that you know american cinema certainly or classic hollywood cinema avoids like the plague you know oh, you can't, especially you can't when it do comes it. to like uh, you know romantic comedies or or, or whatever yeah. it, you, this Soulmates. situation this is this is the 
I mean, this is the baseline story. This is the fucking default for any romantic comedy. And it's, you have, you know, uh, woman A, and then there's guy A and guy B. And does she choose guy A or does she choose guy B? And, you know, this guy is, is really, you know, sweet now going. And this one is, you know, more intellectually stimulating. And which one do I choose? And the answer is, I don't know, one, the other, both, neither, who fucking knows? Like, that's the actual yep. answer. It's not, there's not a right answer. And it, it's, it's just, it's a wonderful film because it takes time to examine multiple different relationships that she has and, you know, show her life and, and show how she could be happy and also struggle with these two very different men. And ultimately she just, she doesn't end up with either one because it doesn't fucking matter. Like that's not what yeah. it's about. So um, yeah. yeah, it was, it's, it's so funny because it seems like such a simple concept because that's how life is. Like that's just the way shit is. But yeah, it's like cinema is afraid to embrace that for some reason. And it, it was just refreshing to see something that it's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much that's normal shit. And that feels nice. Yeah. A lot of people get bent out of shape when movies, I guess don't, or life itself doesn't even provide the answers you're looking for. And this is, um, is as far as Joachim Trier's work goes, he's basically here to say, Hey guys, it's okay. Even if into the throes of adulthood, you don't have everything figured it out. Nobody really ever does. And, uh, yeah. So this, this film fits right in just with all of his, his previous works, which are kind of about people, Again, this sounds very message and themey, but it's about people finding their way in the world. Like his first film, his debut reprise is about two best friends who want to become writers. One guy is uh, turns out to be a failure. One guy finds great success in his work, but then he can't handle it and he has a nervous breakdown and turns suicidal. And it's just about the darkness that life throws at you and how we all have to cope with it in our own way. But yeah, this is maybe his most stunning film yet and i've i've loved all of his previous films the lead actress renate runciv is uh is just fabulous um it, it's really such a like life affirming work and one that just made me happy and just filled with like positivity and like you know looking onto an uncertain future i just kind you kind of feel okay after watching this movie like it's just it felt so great to be alive when the credits rolled and that's you know that's all art can really uh give for us i think yeah i mean it's like to it's really important within this film is very it's a very kind of like middle class professional movie in sense it's not about life or death it's no one's falling into poverty or being you know making you know grand decisions on that level it's not concerned with that which would be a entirely different film it really is a film about how about when things are going okay for you what happens if you're still not happy? Which is one of the most relatable things in the world, but most movies don't really go, you know, most movies and texts that deal with that, you know, it turns out, oh, you aren't actually happy. Like, you don't actually have what you want. Uh, you know, there's something else that you need to find. But in this movie, it's like, no, she is actually really happy. She just wants something else as well, and she's not quite sure what that means, and she can't find out unless she tries it. And that's that's the movie. And, you know, it's very much a movie. I think what's really interesting about this film is that she has these two different partners throughout the film and the film gives over so much time to them as well to kind of examine them, 
which is yeah. really unusual. You know, mostly most movies have like it's the star, like you're the you're the protagonist of reality is the general standpoint of films, you know, and certainly romantic comedies. It's like what really happens is that this one person or what really matters is the one person is happy and makes the right decision to get the happy ending. And this film instead is is very much about examining how the relationships and the boundaries between these characters kind of push and pull against each other as they're all looking for certain comforts and considerations and so on. And kind of, you know, it, it strikes me it's a really, I think, useful film because, and it's always hard to gauge this because, you know, very online kind of discussion, but like Gen Z particularly just recently had another fucking blow up on TikTok about uh was West Elm Caleb or whatever. But there seems to be this thing um in Gen Z where they're they're trying to kind of pathologize or structure every human interaction because uh, you know everything's turning into kind of a weird therapy session and they've learned a couple of like psychological buzzwords and they're trying to like impose them over all human relationships try and work out you know like the the growing thing online there's a growing self-help mantra that you basically don't owe anyone anything you know you really do you like and friendship mm -hmm. is emotional labor you know and if you don't owe your <laughs> friends that and it's a dead end like you know and i cannot i can understand the idea but it's a dead end it will not make you happy and it certainly won't make you friends uh, it's it's a really treacherous kind of a path but sometimes you do need to withdraw sometimes you need to renegotiate relationships and uh, this film really delves into that it really kind of comes at that with a certain kind of a comfort and an understanding and it just again it's one of those films that like i say i watch it i'm just i'm kind of struck by how few films there seem to be that are like this that really just get into like you know this is just regular life stuff there's nothing exceptional that happens here like a big question this is like does she want children it's like this is something almost every woman will negotiate at some point and this movie really just kind of negotiates it quite openly with one of the possible answers being no which again traditional hollywood cannot even fathom the marketplace will mm -hmm. not accept childless women. They buy less stuff or they buy selfish stuff because <laughs> they're alone. You know, it, it, there's all these judgment values and this movie just explodes all of them. Um, and I God, I just wish it happened more often. Uh, this is And this movie, uh, worth mentioning, I think in the US, Neon has it. They, it hasn't been released officially yet. We, you know, it's had like a... a art festival releases and a few little showings here and there for awards consideration um it will almost certainly get some not an oscar nomination award almost certainly for best foreign language film um but it hasn't gotten its broad release yet i think that's coming in late this month or maybe early february so if yeah. you're only hearing about it now you you have plenty of time to catch it in cinema and it's just it's honestly i think it's a great date movie it's just one of those films that will get people talking about really boring shit that people try not to talk about but maybe with slightly more of an open mind than they usually would this is kind of a great function uh, that more films could do but instead they don't so it's a shame but maybe no one will watch it because they're all speaking norwegian so oops <laughs> uh yeah, yeah you gotta do some reading with this one sorry kids um <laughs> uh i yeah i don't know i again this is it really feels like a movie that I don't know. It just, it just seems like there should be more of this, and yet it feels so unique and, and special, and it's uh, it's it's really fantastic. So 
watch it. It's going to play at your local little art house cinema. Go fucking watch it. Uh, well, you know, it's 2021, so it's not, it's really not good enough anymore to just release one good movie. Um, if, if you want to be the best, you want to be on the top of your game and you want to make it on the optimism vaccine podcast, you actually have to release two stone cold classics in the same year. And, uh, one director has done that. So <laughs> drive my car, wheel of fortune and fantasy. How, how do you do these two movies back to back? Steve, you're, you're about to piss off all the Hong Sang Soo people, the fans, cause he, he released two pretty solid movies this year too. Just to let you know. Oh, well, I'm just I'm trying I'm trying to give each <laughs> you know next movie announcement a, a theme. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, you're doing you're doing good. Look, we discussed from worst person in the world. You're not that bad. <laughs> I thought you were gonna talk about like Ridley Scott or something. <laughs> <laughs> not today. Also, also not two thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I say Stone Cold Classics, but I'm actually basing this off of critical response and and the gushing praise of you two and, and Sean. I haven't seen either one of these, but uh, I, I want to give you guys a chance to to sell the listeners here on, on these two films. Yeah, well, Drive My Car uh, is my number one for the year. Uh, that's all you need to know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, <laughs> Let's drive, leave it drive there. My Car... Yeah, it just completely bowled me over. Um, it's such a wonderful look at the human condition, you know, grief, why we do the things we do, uh, just creating art. All of these different things sort of intersect on just one man's journey to understand the death of his wife and also put out an adaptation of the play of uncle vanya and uh i i just i thought it was just such a tremendous heart-filled work and his other and wheel of fortune and fantasy um is also just an excellent film as well i'll i'll let jack dive into that one but yeah drive my car is just such an incredibly moving experience and again i i could not come up with words to do it justice it's like worst person in the world you sit down, you watch it, and you feel so happy to still be on this mortal coil. It's just such a wonderful, life-affirming odyssey. Yeah, I think, like, Hamaguchi is currently, like, the it director of, like, international cinema. Um, and, frankly, I have no complaints about this. Um, the first film of his that I saw was, and I don't remember what it came out originally, was it 2013 or 2016? I don't remember. Um, Happy Hour which is actually five hours long. Terrible title for a movie. Very long movie. Uh, came out because it was built out of a an acting workshop that uh, Hamaguchi was running and he just took four of his students and he made a movie with them. And it's a very long movie and it's a very, it's a film about kind of how we, and it's kind of a recurring theme of his work and it's really kind of, I think, central to selling Hamaguchi. Is his, it's very much a film of conversation and dialogue. Um, that transfers even through subtitles. Um, I'm sure it's wonderful if you actually understand the native Japanese, but um, <clears throat> his, his the movies are about like really series of conversations in which there's like this push and pull of what people know they're saying and what they think they're saying and what they're hiding and what the other person kind of is able to 
interpolate from it or glean what they can uncover or what they're trying to hide. All of his conversations in his film, I mean, he is just an incredible scriptwriter. And um, <clears throat> funnily enough, when we're talking about prolific, he wrote these two films and directed them. He also wrote Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Wife of a Spy, which came out this year, which is also tremendous really great movie but you know that's we won't go into that one but he's basically at the top of his game right now happy hour is easily i think one of my favorite films the last 10 years asako one and two came after that which shares similarities with wheel of fortune fantasy it's kind of a film about missed opportunities um about making the right choice actually has some overlap actually with the worst person in the world in terms of kind of determining who one should be with and what what are you know different possibilities and there's no clear answer um also has a kind of an overlap with Romare and Romare I think is a, a major touchstone also with Wheel of Fortune fantasy if any if you've seen any Romare films and if not you check them out some of them are really funny um you know films like The Good Marriage <laughs> that are or uh The Green Ray which are about very headstrong self-assured people who absolutely kind of ruined their lives because they're so sure about stuff and they're actually not really good at this at all they've got everything figured out and they're really actually quite bad at it um there, there's that interplay through these films um but i, I say all this really just to, to like hedge the the concept that hamaguchi's films have this just incredible effortless kind of depth to them that they really and and they're not dense and they're not foreboding to watch them or they're, they're not like they don't feel heavy to watch them they really don't and i know i'm talking about a five hour long japanese movie or a three hour japanese movie okay they can take their time they're not rushing anywhere but to sit down and watch them they are not abstract or obtuse in any way shape or form they really are just people talking they're they're quite easy to situate yourself into they're not quintessentially japanese you know they're not about the ins and outs of like a tea ceremony or anything you know you don't have to understand like how the the social strata intervenes in all of these things just very accessible films about a modern japan that's very much just a modern everywhere where people are searching for meaning and searching for solace and relationships and are often screwing it up or not quite getting it right uh so jake talked about like drive my car which is certainly is a film of the of the two drive my car is currently just wiping up like award stuff it's just soaking up every single goddamn film award out there it's winning everything um it, it, and and it's kind of interesting because frankly it's I think Wheel of Fortune Fantasy is really neck and neck. Like, they're really two tremendously good films. It's kind of staggering how equally footed they both are to me. Um, but Drive My Car is certainly the one that's kind of, like, enamored uh, all, all of the, the critics and everything. It's really soaking up everything. So, you know, I think that might be the one that more people gravitate towards. And it's just... It just does everything so well. Uh, Hamaguchi just has this wonderful grasp of film grammar to kind of like move the scenes through these conversations without like, it never feels like it's getting cloying or sticking. Um, he does this wonderful thing in Drive My Car, which, you know, a, a good example of just doing something very simple, but it just feels almost like totally new, which is that the opening credits for Drive My Car open about 40-ish minutes into the movie. 
you know, which yeah. is something that, you know, it, it happens. Other people have done this for uh, Virsa Takul's uh, Blissfully Yours does the same thing. The, the opening credits are like halfway into the movie. Monty Python obviously put the opening credits at the end of at least one episode of their show or even their movie. You know, you could do it for fun too. But in Drive My Car, it's really, because it's a film about a man who has a wife and then the wife dies and then he has to process kind of what that means to him. Um... And it's kind of her death ushers in and we have 40 minutes of movie and then she dies unexpectedly and then the, edit, the, the opening credits happen and it's just such a simple kind of switch of film grammar to let you know now the film has begun because it's not about the time we spent there but it's like now something has happened, enough has happened that we're now beginning to have the real conversation. And it's such a simple little thing to do but it really is tremendously effective and i think that's a very good in like an idea of how hamaguchi works he is not a flashy director he's not doing crazy like he's not gaspar noe there's no twirling cameras and huge amounts of cg though he does use a little cg here and there um i seem to recall there was one shot he was asked about in asiko one and two um i try to even remember the details of the shot but he was asked if he used cg for and he declined to answer he likes a little bit of mystery <laughs> about what he's doing um but like the, the, they're just such simple films and they run so well and and wheel of fortune fantasy i guess to talk about that is it's three stories uh each story is kind of about human relationships romantic relationships but it kind of intermingled with fate there's sort of each each story has an element of chance that inflects upon it that that kind of dictates how events unfold <laughs> And it's, God, it's just so, it's just so good to watch. It's lovely. Uh, it's also working, he's an actor's director. Uh, like I mentioned, Happy Hour actually was born out of an actor's workshop. Frankly, act and some uh, award ceremonies this year for 2021 have leaned into this. If you wanted to do a Best Supporting Actress nomination, you could just have no one but people who are in Hamaguchi films. You could fill entire categories with just the women playing in Hamaguchi films. Lead actor, actress, you could pretty much rank it, like fill out the stocks with that too. He gives so much. He's so generous in his kind of how what he gives everyone to work with that there's so much depth to it. Um it's it's just oh they're they're just wonderful. And to talk about them again, yeah, there's there's an incredible amount we could talk about. It. Like Un Uncle Vanya, for example, is an interesting touchstone and drive my car the director produces a play of uncle vanya but everyone it's an international version of the of the play so each person comes from a different country and they speak their own native language so it's a theatrical setting but everyone speaks in their own language to each other so there's this kind of breakdown of communication that means that the the actions what they do on stage becomes central to how they communicate because we understand they can't actually understand what they're saying, although they share the text of Uncle Vanya, so they know, but only because they have reference to a third party. This becomes, you know, kind of part of the main, the director's kind of navigation of his own falling out with his wife, who it turns out he doesn't know as well as he thought he knew. Um, there, There's elements there that he, you know, he's trying to navigate, but it's not like trashy or anything it's not like you know salacious it's it's not a film about how his wife was bad actually and he's better off without her or anything like that <laughs> it's a movie about how you know we all have 
facets and secrets and tensions and things maybe we're not, you know, we don't want to share or we don't even really acknowledge fully about ourselves. Uh, so anyway, I've I've waffled on long enough. Just watch both of these films. You just do it. Just stop it. Turn this podcast off. Go watch them. They're amazing. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the hard sell there, man. I that's Steve. I, fucking again, watch like, these I, movies. What are you doing? What the hell, dude? My I you know, listen. I they they were on my <laughs> list. The, the Plex has been been having no issues. No pigs it's, die in either of them. You're fine. Just watch that them we all. know of. <laughs> that we, yeah, that's true. There's a good yeah, dog and drive the, my car, so yeah, and nothing bad happens to him. No, man, we're we're like we're like okay. So here's the new angle for optimism vaccine. We're uh, Allison, the vegan alert girl from Letterbox, <laughs> but instead of giving vegan alerts, we just give pig alerts. Like if a pig dies <laughs> in the movie, we let everybody know. <laughs> something to think about it's it's like a hyper niche vegan alert just in case anyone's wondering uh i wonder what she thought of pig Jeez, probably not a fan uh given the pig's fate well, you're, but... you're, they're in restaurants that serve meat that's surely a huge problem oh, from yeah. the get-go i guarantee without looking at her review i don't think she likes the scene in the third act where nicholas cage like cooks a pheasant or something uh <laughs> that is <laughs> very unfair to the pheasant absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah, not not great. Not great. Uh, well, I, I feel like we covered most of the big stuff. Is there anything that we missed here? Do you guys do you guys want to talk about your your favorite age gap movie of the year? Was it Licorice Pizza or Red Rocket? <laughs> uh, Red Rocket for me, uh, to be honest. As <laughs> much as agree. I enjoyed uh, Licorice Pizza, um, uh, maybe I'm not kind of behind the, all the acclaim of that movie it's a great deal of fun don't get me wrong and i had a blast watching it but um red rocket is just continuing sean baker's streak as one of the uh best american filmmakers that we currently have and uh yeah simon rex who i mostly know as just being the goofball idiot from the scary movie franchise it turns in an incredible performance uh and uh yeah it's a just a kind of another oh it's about a guy a, who wants redemption in his hometown and uh, blah, blah 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 but yeah it's it's got a real heart and energy to it that uh, i just find infectious yeah yeah this is Lic- I mean, it's probably uh, i was just to say it's probably my least favorite sean baker movie but it's still good so uh, that's <laughs> i mean the, the guy he's he's got a, a pretty great track record and i think it, it actually pairs really well with uh worst person in the world because it takes a very simple, like age old cinematic theme concept of this guy's like, he's going to find redemption and growth by going home after he hits rock bottom. It's like, no, it, some people just don't change and he's a pile of shit. So, and you could be charming and a pile of shit, believe it or not. Yeah. I so. think, yeah, that's a clear distinction. There's an incredible scene in Red Rocket. I think Red Rocket and, and Licorice Pizza are interesting as flip sides because first off, Licorice Pizza got all of the ire online about like this girl is pedophile because she's dating a teenager she's and it's in like, Heim. yeah. And <laughs> if they only knew what went down in Red Rocket, sure. But, <laughs> and, but you know, there's this interesting because first off, Licorice Pizza, like people are like, oh, it's so warm and fun at the '70s, like growing up in Hollywood, it was so amazing. Licorice Pizza is not about how like '70s Hollywood was cool as shit. It's basically about how America barely has its shit under control, and uh, like everyone's like one drink too deep to stop the train, 
that's basically licorice pizza and it is very fun and entertaining and and it has a warmth to it and this fantastic central performances from alana haim and uh from uh, what's the name is it cooper hoffman is yes, philip sir. seymour hoffman's son uh like these these wonderful performances that really kind of ground it but you know it's it's not a like it's not a fond recollection of a time era you know or of a time period but people mm-hmm. seem to have just gone it's like oh no unabashedly these this much older you know this 20 something year old girl is like dating a 15 year old and that's wrong and it's like yeah it's not the only thing wrong in this movie and also she's not really dating him among other things like there's definitely some inappropriate stuff there but you might have noticed there's a lot of inappropriate shit happening everywhere in this movie you know um Red Rocket is funny because no one seems to be talking about it. It is much clearer in that the lead character is kind of a piece of shit. I think it's it's much more. I, I like. I understand people aren't complaining about the age gap and that. To get to give a summation of that film, uh, Simon Rex plays like he's must be in his like late thirties, probably or even early forties. Uh, you know, porn performer, fallen on hard times, goes back to his his hometown of Texas City, Texas which is a real place I'd never heard of. And it's basically just smokestacks and chemical plants. Reminds me a lot, actually, of, like, smoked... Or, um, the... God, what's it called? The Rubber Town in, in Louisville. Very similar. Uh, gave me very similar vibes. It's kind of a part of America that's not really talked about, but a lot of towns have, which is all the, manuf- like, heavy manufacturing area, where I know in, like, Rubber Town, Louisville, like, people just die young there. Because uh, all the houses just back up on chemical plants, and America, that's fine. That just happens. That's just a thing, you know. And it's so, like, there's that really interesting setting. Like, you know, all the established shots of this is like a house, and behind it, there's just billowing fucking smokestacks. Um, but basically, this this aging porn star is like looking to make good, and he just finds this pretty seventeen year old, but she'll be eighteen in three weeks. And she already goes by Strawberry, and he just reckons she's, like, his ticket back into porn. And it's, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where they're going with it. Um, but really, uh, an incredible film about, uh, I know it's it's really du jour to go, like, this movie's about capitalism. But Sean Baker's movies are pretty much all about capitalism. Uh, that's, that's kind of a major part of it, because uh, you don't get poor without it. Um, and it's just sort of like the, there's this incredible scene in Red Rocket that my mind returns to. And I do think Red Rocket is one of the best films of the year, even while I acknowledge I don't like it as much as Tangerine and uh, and uh, The Florida Project. And maybe that will change over time. I feel like it's a little more straightforward than those, but it's still tremendous. There's a great scene in it where uh, our protagonist hangs out in its bedroom or it hangs out in the bedroom of this girl that he's dating basically with the hope of bring her into porn to basically kind of bring him back into the business. And she just, she sings him a song. <clears throat> she has like a keyboard in her, in her bedroom. And he's like, Oh, it's a keyboard. Like, Oh, you play keyboard. I didn't know that. And it's kind of like, he's feigning interest in her. Cause he doesn't give a shit about her. Really? She's just pretty. And he reckons, you know, he's, she's a meal ticket. Uh, you know, she's, she's not even of age, but she can be a meal ticket. There's, there's like a, a market advantage to her. And she sings this song, and uh, she's actually played by uh, Susanna Son, I believe is the name of the actress, who is actually a musician. And she gives this very stirring, uh, you know, kind of performance of an NSYNC song, uh, very kind of the film's recurring musical theme. But, you know, she she's good at singing. She's good at playing the piano. It's kind of this surprise within the film. She's not like, she's not half-assed. It's clearly something she's interested in. 
<clears throat> and it's great because you just see him sitting in the back, not really expecting her to be good at anything, and his eyes just sort of glaze over because this isn't <laughs> why he's interested in her. He doesn't care if she can sing or play piano or whatever. And that's kind of what Red Rocket is. It's a movie about market dynamics and basically how we can kind of reduce everyone to a market factor. Um, there's a price tag on everyone and we can kind of negotiate that and take advantage of it. And that's largely considered good. That's hustling. That's, you know, taking advantage and doing, you know, doing the work. Really really downbeat grim film at certain points but also incredibly funny so yeah uh well, well worth checking out maybe just the only thing made explicit about its themes is that it, it's it's set during the 2016 election and there's there's maga signs just kind of peeking into the background and in, in some scenes that's right scenes, one of the but, only uh, films where snippets of donald trump audio sneaking in didn't feel completely egregiously like annoying to me like it it fit yeah. the the, the milieu they were talking about here. Yeah. So I, I feel like this is probably Sean Baker's highest budget film that he's ever made. And I feel like that's because all of the money went to licensing in sync. Is that <laughs> this is fair possible? To say? <laughs> it's true. Sean Baker, for the first time in your life, here's five million dollars to make a film. And he's like, I will be taking four and a half million to get the song Bye 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 by NSYNC. <laughs> it's true. There, there's like a massive car accident in the movie that's entirely implied through sound effects, if I remember correctly. It's like a screeching <laughs> tire. And then a news report later mentions the car accident happened. It's great. Also, Red Rocket, best streaking scene in a movie ever. Oh, he I think so. fully commits. Just, yeah, one of the, or like just one of the best, you know, some movies have like that climatic, oh, you got to run to your goal. It's got the best one of those that I've ever mm -hmm. seen. Yeah, always run to your goal with your dick out. That's what I tell people. Um, <laughs> or run away from your problems with your dick out in the case of this film. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I think we we covered most most of the big stuff here. So you got to wrap things up. Otherwise, I mean, we could we could be here for three hours. Uh, we certainly have been in the past. Good Lord. But uh, I guess as we we close out and we put things over, feel free. If you got something that we haven't talked about yet for this episode, best of 2021, uh, you could you could put it over. OK, so if I skipped out, if, if Jack, I know you've got something that you've seen that I haven't seen yet because you, you got the fucking the hotline for the uh, the the good torrents. So, <laughs> Jack, what are you putting over this week? Okay, so so keeping that in mind, you know what I am going to put over the the only film because the Hamaguchi's we've discussed, Drive My Car, Wheel of Fortune, Fantasy, for most of the year they were my top two films, unassailable, incredible, great. And then just at the last minute, I think I found one movie I like more than them, and this is not to deflect on them; they're tremendous. Uh, but Bruno Dumont has a new movie called France. And I loved it. I, I, and I mean, I'm a longtime Dumont fan. Many people are not. So if you've seen other Dumont films and you hate them, uh, I'm not going to say this one's going to change your mind at all. But um, yeah, it, it might. It, it might. It's a little. It's a little brighter and more straightforward than some of his other ones. A little less immediately abrasive. 
But I loved yeah. this film. It, it is really the work of... Because Dumont has kind of moved from his sort of reputation as a very stern taskmaster of art cinema to then making a fucking rap musical about Joan of Arc, which uh, no one no one had on their bingo card for that year or any year with his Jean d'Arc. Stole my idea. Oh, is that? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Damn it, Steve. You just need to move quicker on it. But um yeah, France trying is, to learn French first. Well, you know, you should you just done an American version, just worked over it. You get Lin Manuel Miranda to help you with translation and stuff. It'll be it'll work out fine. <laughs> but uh, this this movie is great. It's Leo Sedou had a, an incredible 2021. She was in France, she yeah. was in uh, No Time to Die, the Bond movie. She was in the French Dispatch, the Wes Anderson movie, which is also really good. Looks beautiful, if nothing else. God, it's a incredibly pretty film. Um but she basically plays a news reporter who starts to have doubts about whether or not she's really doing good in the world. And she has something of a breakdown in Dumont fashion. It's a film about mediating images and creating, you know, kind of passing information through filmmaking. So it is a film that operates on multiple layers simultaneously. It's a very straightforward story about this news anchor who is, uh, you know, kind of has a crisis of conscience and conscience, and has you know a very a breakdown and this and that. It's also about the news that she creates and reports, and and her own unknowingness. How we're not really aware of her inner states. There's these wonderfully ambiguous emotional crescendos within the film that honestly we're not we we're not really privy to a reality of it. We couldn't be, um, which Dumont plays on brilliantly. Uh, it's just a, a god. It's just a really fascinating film. It's got this incredible sequence where she directs a, a scene in like the desert. She's on a news report and she just directs a scene with like these these militant resistance fighters, and it's this kind of goes behind the scenes of how you would create a news image sequence. It, it, you know, so it kind of shows you how everything in the film is fake. Everything in the film was created too. So it it's just this. A wonderfully layered film and then and then it has of course in Dumont fashion these crushing hammer blow literal things like literally Leo Sadu's character's name is France and they keep saying shit like France is crying and France the country perhaps is also crying uh, you know <laughs> it, it has this like like insane kind of like only Dumont really like Dumont and Verhoeven honestly are, are I never really thought of them together until I watched this movie and Benedetta in the same year I, they have the same thing where they can do like just kind of run on two separate like play two separate stories simultaneously w with complete cohesion between them it's it's very peculiar so yeah I would say France absolutely well worth seeing and i think again is coming kino has it in the u.s so i think a wider release is coming and a blu-ray will certainly come really great even if you've never seen a dumont film before i think it well worth checking out really interesting film and if nothing else sedu is incredible if you just like looking at an actress at the top of her game you, you'll enjoy this you'll find something worth in there all right jake yeah what are you putting I, uh... over this week I whole, wholeheartedly back up uh, France as one of the best of the year. But um, I'm going to put over uh, maybe my favorite cinematic moment of the year. Not necessarily my favorite film, but the one scene I keep coming back to in my head is just such a big blast of fun energy. It uh, can be summed up in four words. So may we start. Uh, if you're not familiar, this is the uh, opening scene of the new Leos Carax film, Annette 
which uh, starts out in a recording studio where the band Sparks, who uh, co-wrote the film, start singing their new single, So May We Start. And uh, in the middle of their session, they stop singing into the microphones, but they keep singing the song, and they get up and they walk out of the studio, and then soon the actors from the film join them as they walk out into the streets of Santa Monica, and they're walking down with like this little children's choir behind them, never missing a beat, and it's just such a great earwormy song and a like thrilling start to the movie and uh i i I would say it's the indisputable highlight but um yeah that's uh that's uh, what i'm gonna put over you check out annette it's on amazon prime just watch the opening scene have a good time let me know what you think all right well i was gonna put over you know something from 2021 follow my own rules here and I thought about it and I was like, oh, I could put over Malignant because that movie's cool and weird and fun. Uh, but I think we've already put it over. We've already talked about it. So Malignant's good, but that's not what I'm putting over. I'm putting over something that uh, came out in a different year. Some would say a better year. It's called The King of Kickboxers. <laughs> it came <laughs> out in 1990. <laughs> Which... <laughs> My uh, my co-host today will recognize as the film that I got drunk and watched on Friday and wouldn't stop like blasting our group chat talking about. But let me set the scene for you. Uh, one, it's a kickboxing movie. Name a bad kickboxing movie. That's right. You can't. And if you're naming a movie right now, you're wrong. I'm sorry. Number two, it's got Billy Blanks in it. Name a bad Billy Blanks movie. Don't answer that question. But the thing that really makes this magical is... Billy Blanks, he's known for Taibo. He's known for his karate action, but he's probably not known for his acting ability. And you may ask yourself, how far down the, the, the shitty acting hole does Mr. Blanks fall? Okay? What is the lowest of the low? And the answer is King of Kickboxers. Because at any given point, he seems to be reading off of cue cards and also, I'm convinced that he learned how to read in like when he was like 35 years old or English is like his seventh language because his line delivery is fucking insane. And it completely matches the energy of this film, which is just montages, cornball lines, uh, completely ludicrous revenge plot and some of the best kickboxing action you can find from the year 1990. So this gets my wholehearted endorsement. If you want greatness, look no further. Look for the King of Kickboxers available on VHS. <laughs> or, you know, hit me up and I'll send you a link, man. I, I, I am 100% sold. 100% sold it's, uh, it's, on this. It's really incredible. I mean, again, probably not for everyone. Don't watch this with your mother-in-law. But if, if, you've, if you've got, if, if you enjoy this late 80s, early 90s direct-to-video action film, if that's your shit, then this movie, King of Kickboxers, is 100% your shit. So, uh, yeah, with that, if you enjoyed the podcast, do us a big favor. There is a link in the description of the podcast you were listening to, and that'll take you to our Patreon page. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know, you can give us money, and that would be great. So you could give us a couple bucks, or you can give us $25. And for just a couple bucks, uh, really, if you donate at any level, I will send you a Blu-ray or a DVD in the mail. 
Or maybe I'll send you a VHS tape. Maybe I'll send you a copy of The King of Kickboxers. How nice would that be for you? You have no idea, but you get a free movie in the mail, no matter what. So uh, even if you hate our guts, if you want a free movie, send us a couple bucks. And at higher levels, you can get more perks all the way up to $25, where you, yes, you, dear listener, can choose an episode for us. And in fact, someone just Venmoed us $25 because they lost their fucking debit card and couldn't give us Patreon money. So uh, I suppose that's an option, too. But it also speaks to the average optimism vaccine listener, who's the type of person that loses their debit card but still wants us to do an episode on something. So that's fun. So yeah, uh, if you got a little extra cash to throw around, we'd really appreciate it. Podcasting is expensive. We got to pay for hosting and all that stuff. Uh, we got we got to make these boys sound nice. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of money, a lot of work. Also, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, if uh, you know about a sequel to The King of Kickboxers that I'm not aware of, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine, and we would love to hear from you. So, Jake, final word is yours. London's a bad place. 